The concept of patriotism is a deep and complicated one. It brings to mind military and government support by the citizens and military forces of a nation. But I think the concept of patriotism was meant to be something far deeper than what we get credit for. In these extraordinary times when we see quite a bit of division, judgment, and blind nationalism, I want to propose that we work to foster a new type of conscious patriotism. This is Anipi Radio, a space for authentic conversations around indigenous wisdom, science, lifestyle, and spiritual practices. The show is founded upon the belief that our most effective contribution to a more peaceful and harmonious world is for each of us to align with nature, humanity, and spirit. I hope your experience here serves as a source of depth, liberation, and joy in your life. Let me start by saying the fact that I, a man that has deliberately chosen to live outside of the United States, my home country, for well over a decade, that for me to be talking about patriotism is borderline humorous. But today I'm taking a new look with an open mind. I've never considered myself to be a patriot, necessarily. But with today's political climate, I'm forced to kind of analyze the concept, you know, from a new perspective. I'm looking at what's going on, and I'm thinking, we have an opportunity here. An opportunity to transform the distraction, chaos, and fear tactics of our new government into a powerful impetus for unity. It's in those times when your family is threatened that you really reflect and value the fact that you actually have a family. You start to remember what it actually means to you. And maybe it's for the first time even that you've thought about what it really means to you. Sometimes you start to think about what it could mean if you were more deliberate about it, about valuing that. And I think this is one of those times, you know, whether it be your family or your community, your nation, and so on. We need to reflect on what our nation is actually about. Uh, this is one of those times when I think we need to reanalyze where we're at. So all of this kind of thinking led me to diving into some research about the concept of patriotism. Let's go ahead and break that down a little bit. I always like to define the terms. I feel like so often words get so manipulated and bastardized, if you will, to such an extent that they, they sort of lose their meaning. I think it's important to analyze our words and to be deliberate about them and to really understand what they mean. So patriotism. The term originally derives from the Elizabethan era. It's uh, Middle French, Late Latin. Patriota means countryman, or the Greek term is, means from the same country or, or fatherland. And I want to read a little quote about patriotism from another other than Leo Tolstoy, the great Russian author and petitioner of nonviolent resistance that inspired the likes of Gandhi and MLK. The feeling of patriotism is a moral feeling, because instead of confessing himself a son of God, 
or even a free man guided by his own reason, each man under the influence of patriotism confesses himself the son of his fatherland and the slave of his government and commits actions contrary to his reason and conscience. Patriotism means really someone, it means devoted love, support, and defense of one's country. It's a form of national loyalty. I think people are in the habit of replacing the word country, though, with government. That seems to be a part of the problem, and that's where we often get derailed. Most Americans view patriotism as blind support for whatever their government, and specifically their military, dictates. There is a difference, however, between loyalty to a government and love of one's country. I aim to take a stab at what that actually looks like. So while we're defining terms, let's talk about what is country, if we're going to use that as the other side of this. Country means a state or a nation, the territory of a nation, the people of a district, state, or nation, the land of one's birth or citizenship. So I've traveled and lived you know, all over the world for most of my life. To me, when I think of the term country, this is what I think of. The people living in a particular nation, the culture of that nation, and the land within that nation. So as we move forward, let's just use that notion as what I mean when when I say country. As an activist, I'm obviously well aware of how my government operates. I spend a lot of time studying that and have for about 20 years. Every day I spend time educating myself on the politics and of our government. And I've discussed in the last two podcasts the term politics, which refers to you know, how we organize ourselves as a society. And I maintain the opinion that everyone plays a role in our global society, certainly in our nation. Whether it's intentional or not, we're playing a role. And when you're talking about a country or nation, that's just as relevant. You know, if it's a family situation or a community situation or a nation, again, we can look at a micro situation to try to understand the dynamics of a macro situation at any point. Sometimes that's a lot easier to digest. It's more palatable. I recently created a meme and put that out on the old interwebs. The meme said... Tyranny needs society like people need oxygen. It relies on the silence, compliance, and apathy of citizens. Our resistance cuts off the air supply and makes way for new social agreements to emerge. If you are on an abandoned island, you're by yourself on an island, and you decide to start your own government for some strange reason, and you decide to be either benevolent or tyrannical, to no one, it really doesn't matter what you do. Uh, There's no one to uphold that benevolence or tyranny. But if you live in a nation and you decide to be one or the other, the people must support that benevolence or tyranny. And when the people resist either the government or president or whatever, is then forced in in some way to comply to the desires of the people. Now, we know that that discussion is a bit muddled at the moment, especially now. But ultimately, if a government is coming in and, uh, let's say, 
being tyrannical in some form or another. It cannot persist unless the people are compliant or silent or apathetic and so on. And if they resist for long enough, we've seen what that can do through the civil rights movement and many other movements, suffice it to say. For instance, women can vote now. That was not the case at one point because society did not allow for it. They did not stay silent, compliant, or apathetic. They resisted and said, no, we need to go another direction. In the instance of the United States of America, you know, we aren't just talking about any old nation. I want to talk for a moment about the impact of the U.S. on other nations around the world. I think we all have a general idea of that, but it's significant. Because we, you know, when we talk about patriotism in the United States, we are talking about culture and government and citizens in a nation, and it happens to be a nation that impacts more outside nations than any other country in the world. What we do here, what we believe here, the way we live here, the way we purchase, from big business practices to military operations, the United States has a tremendous impact on our planet, and certainly those that dwell within it. We're talking about the most influential and therefore powerful nation in the world. What we do here affects the rest of the world profoundly. Our government is one of the warringest governments on the planet. Historically, France, Great Britain, United States, Germany are the most warring countries. But we have to remember that U.S. is pretty new to this game uh, relative to the others. So it's pretty impressive that we're still in that standing, or depressing, whichever way you want to look at it. This year, U.S. Special Operations Forces, and we have to remember that when we're talking about our military operations in other countries, we have to remember that we have sort of overt, direct kind of um, military operations that people are well aware of, but we also have a lot of other special ops going on that most people are not actually aware of. Right now, we have already deployed into 135 different nations, according to the Special Operations Command. That's roughly 70% of the countries on the planet. The United States is conducting war in 70% of the countries on the planet. Every day, in fact, America's most elite troops are carrying out missions in 80 to 90 nations. So if the most influential nation in the world is, the, is a warmongering nation, the U.S. may also be one of the biggest threats to the world, not only for our warring, but because of how we treat the planet. This brings me to an interesting intersection in the discussion. And this is why I'm talking about this. So I'm a lifelong activist and philanthropist. And I'm also, you know, a strategist and a brand developer and so on. So I'm a root cause kind of guy. I always want to get down to the root. What's causing this? I want to strike at that root when it comes to social justice. On a human level, that means, you know, addressing the perspectives. On a global level, that means addressing the most influential and profound source of tyranny and oppression. And I, I spent so many years fighting poverty and war and oppression around the world. And lately, and, and throughout most of my life, I've realized that the majority of it seems to stem from the United States and our operations around the rest of the world. So 
I'm inclined to view the United States as the root as a, of a lot of the tyranny around the world. And if we alter this perspective of the most influential people in, the, in those nations, like the United States, many of the problems we fight daily around the world would begin to dissipate organically, in my opinion. If we influence the leadership of America towards peace and equality, we will have made a powerful play in creating world peace. This is why I support the, you know, the idea of celebrity activism. I mean, people are sort of, we've always been led by celebrity. I'm going to do another podcast on that, actually, so I won't go into that too much. But it's the influencers are called influencers for a reason. If I care about our planet, I'm forced to turn my focus towards the most influential nations in terms of how they're impacting the planet. This is why I'm here living in the U.S. for the first time in over a decade. Personally, I see the U.S. as the most profound, profound and pervasive issuer of tyranny around the globe. And it's important to note this. On the flip side of that coin, I also see the United States as the most likely geographical location for the bedrock of the revolution for peace that I've dedicated my life to. It is the usual yin and yang saga. We see, you know, wonderful uh, communication and, and connectivity coming through the internet, which is, it has helped very much to unite us in, in many ways. But at the same time, we also see horrific things coming through the internet, um, trafficking and child pornography, things like that that are coming through the internet. So, you know, is the internet good? Well, <laughs> it comes with the good and the bad. And what has risen really is the intensity, not necessarily the level of good or bad it, as, you know, separate from each other. They've both risen. The good and bad don't always change much. But I think these, again, are extraordinary times, and we're living in hyperspeed. I've been talking about that for a long time. We, we're living life fast. We are in the fast lane, all of us. We're taking in more information and so on. We're not necessarily processing all of it, but we are taking it in more, and we're doing more. We're multitasking and so on and so on. Today, you know, we're just dealing with extremely intense levels of lots of things, but that includes tyranny. Unfortunately, lately, it also includes resistance. We'll talk more about that. Let's talk about nationalism for a moment. Nationalism, because we see more of that on the rise at the moment. I just watched a CNN video about some guy. I'm not even going to say his name, and I'm not going to put a link to it in the show notes, because I don't want to give it any more showcase than it already has. You know, I'm, I'm, on one hand, I'm grateful that I understand it, but on the other hand, I wish it wasn't on the front page of CNN because it's just given this guy more of the limelight. Uh, but anyway, he's, he started a white nationalist party and he's going around to lots of different universities and recruiting people, putting up posters. And I just watched an interview with him and he just, I mean, he said that racism is a form of bigotry towards white nationalists and white supremacists. His words, not mine. I'm going to just leave that one alone. Let's talk about nationalism. Nationalism is oriented towards developing and maintaining a national identity based on shared characteristics such as culture, language, race, religion, political goals, and or belief in a common ancestry. Now, that's not necessarily inherently good or bad. Uh, and 
talks about that even in uh, the dictionary and other sources. However, I think that in modern society, and specifically in the U.S., nationalism is most commonly associated with racism and other forms of division, and we're seeing sort of a rise in that at this moment, uh, for many obvious reasons. It's often geared towards sort of weeding out certain types of people in an effort to bolster the platform of other types of people. It's a bit of an elitist scenario. The term white nationalism and nationalism lately especially have become sort of synonymous. We've seen a dramatic rise in white nationalism since the new president has taken office. He's sort of paved the way for that. His presence has kind of caused this resurgence and sort of a license for white supremacy, white nationalists, to gain a stronger foothold in our nation. Um, And we've seen some of that happening sort of on the rise and being less checked than it used to be uh, even months ago. And I think that's worth paying attention to. I, I mean, I could go on, but I, I don't want to spend too much time on this part. You know, I just want to make a distinction between the two terms, nationalism and patriotism. Another thing I want to point out here, <laughs> I don't want to get derailed on terminology. So I hope you hear my message here rather than getting hung up on any terms. And if you want to call yourself a patriot after this, great. And if you don't, it matters not. What matters is what we're talking about here in terms of what patriotism could mean. And yeah, I want to articulate here what it means really to be a caring citizen. And I think that when I say patriotism, if it feels more comfortable, you could Uh, maybe use the word caring citizen rather than patriot. Let's talk about conscious patriotism. This is uh, essentially just a concept I'm discussing because I think that we need to be more conscious. Obviously, that's what this podcast is about. And I also think that when we talk about being conscious, we have to talk about what does that actually mean. I think that means waking up. For me, it means waking up to who we were really designed to be. And I think that we were designed to be vessels of love in unity with each other. And that is not some utopic kind of thinking. I think that is very naturally who we were designed to be. And we need to come back into alignment with that. I'm going to describe here what I believe to be true patriotism. Now, I'm aware of the fact that when you look at the roots of patriotism, you could probably make an argument either way for whether or not it is what I'm articulating today. However, I think that it's time to reanalyze and maybe do a little patriotism 2.0 and say, let's be more deliberate about what actual patriotism looks like. I think we have an opportunity here, if not a very tremendous need, to define a very intentional brand of patriotism And I'm going to attempt to do that here.
True patriotism isn't about putting up walls or securing borders. It's about coming together for the common good to uphold a nation's values. The key part here is about coming together, not being more divided, but coming together. It means we're sharing burdens together, and that's important. It means we need to volunteer and play a more active role in our own society. In the U.S., patriotism should involve petitioning for true democracy. I don't think we have a true democracy here right now, and I think we could. And I think that it is up to us to petition for that, to hold our government accountable for that. True patriotism isn't about loving or hating your government. It's about holding your government accountable for their actions or inactions and ensuring that they uphold a true democracy and that we support their efforts for peace and unity. I think a true patriot works to improve our government, not to destroy it, but to improve it. We're not here to burn it all down. We're here to ensure that our government takes care of the people, works for the people, and doesn't dominate them. True patriots don't pander towards any form of division. They view everyone as a compatriot. A patriot puts a tremendous amount of value on the we in We the People. I think that patriotism is about the love of the land, choosing to live a lifestyle that protects and fosters its vitality. It's about love of the people and choosing to live a lifestyle that protects and fosters their vitality. It's about choosing the vitality of the land and people over corporate interests for profits. Resisting corporate interests that violate human rights or exploit the land. Being aware of your country's politics. Awareness is important. We have to be aware of how our country and our country's politics affect other nations. Patriotism is about volunteering and being an active member of civil society and those initiatives. And this is important. It means that we have to stand up to tyranny. We have to stand up to oligarchy, to fascism. We have to petition for true democracy. And I think it means we have to be actively petitioning for a government that fosters peace and equality, not only in our own nation, but in others. And that has some heavy implications. It doesn't mean we go into somebody else's nation and we tell them how to live. It doesn't mean we force our form of our brand, if you will, of democracy on other people. And it certainly doesn't mean we go in and take their oil. It means that we're there to step in, if needed, as you would in a schoolyard with a bully fighting and, and, and beating people up and calling people names and causing division in other ways. And it means we stand in as a vessel of peace, not coming in. We don't walk in and shoot the bully. We don't walk in and tell the people how to live our way and then the bully will go away. 
we come in and as my mother would say, kill them with kindness. And I think that that's what we need to do in many situations around the world. And if we can't do that, and if it's not a situation that's going to be helped by that, for whatever reason, then perhaps we should not go in at all. When I think about conscious patriotism, I think of some rather unlikely candidates that I would consider to be patriots. People that I think don't normally think of them as patriots. For instance, Martin Luther King was certainly a patriot. He stood up for human rights. And he said to his government, I'm not going to stand here and just be silent about the oppression of any people. Any people. He stood up and petitioned our government to be more humane, more inclusive, kind. Russell Means was an American Indian activist who did the same. John Trudell was sort of the MLK equivalent of the American Indian movement during a very similar time in history. Rosa Parks, you know what she did, and she resisted. She used resistance, nonviolent resistance, and said, I am not going to be passive here. I'm not going to be silent here with my actions. I'm going to resist oppression. And in that resistance, I am sending a message for inclusion, to be looked at as a human on behalf of all the other humans that look like she did. I believe Marianne Williamson is a patriot. She's also run for, run for political office recently. And she, with her organization Sister Giant and her teachings, have, has been an amazing force for love and peace. Uh, I first read A Return to Love when I was, I don't know, 18 or so. And it's really kind of the impetus for me spending most of my life working towards being love. And now our family motto in my house is just be love. That's our, our old Instagram hashtag. Um, and and Marianne, Marianne had a lot to do with that and still does. She's still a constant voice in our family. And she is standing up and she refuses to be silent. She's standing up for women's rights, for equal rights for all humans. And I think that is part of being a patriot, holding our government accountable. Mark Ruffalo is a patriot, standing up for Standing Rock. And I could go on. But I'm grateful for these celebrity patriots because they influence others to follow suit. And I think that's very important. I wish that some of our political leaders would do the same. These people have petitioned the government to foster peace and equality. And they've helped push it in that direction while educating the masses. And I think that's part of what I would call true patriotism or even conscious patriotism. 
I would consider the entire First Nations of, or, or the American Indian population to be some of our greatest patriots. They've petitioned for the protection and uh, you know, the reverence of our land and animals more than probably any other people group, period. Uh, they have stood up for, you know, they've stood up peacefully and patiently in the face of tyranny time and time and time again, and they're continuing to do that now at Standing Rock. We could, I think, all learn from their example, which is being displayed right in front of us today, uh, probably in a bigger way than ever before. We, I mean, in, in times past, like in the 60s and 70s, when John Trudell was fighting the good fight uh, on behalf of American Indians, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, the news on every screen in the world, right, you know, right in front of your face. And I think it's worth paying attention to and worth learning from. This is an opportunity for us to learn how to come into harmony with our planet and with each other. I've talked lots about that in past episodes, and I hope you'll check those out. I want to read a quote from U.S. Army First Lieutenant Aaron Watada. I refuse to be silent any longer. I refuse to be part... I refuse to be party to an illegal and immoral war against people who did nothing to deserve our aggression. My oath of office is to protect and defend America's laws and its people. By refusing unlawful orders for an illegal war, I fulfill that oath today. Now, it's worth noting that First Lieutenant Aaron Watada was court-martialed after making that statement and dishonorably discharged from our military. Let's talk a little bit more about patriotism and American Indians because we have an immediate uh, sort of connection between the two, probably to a further degree than ever before. We're seeing a great example of conscious patriotism there in the rising up in many of today's veterans that are standing up for the First Nations at Standing Rock. They've come together for, you know, to, to form this human shield between the private security forces of energy transfer partners and, and the U.S. military and the water protectors. And they're saying, we're going to stand here and we're going to take some of the hits for you. I've watched a bunch of the interviews of veterans there and they're saying, look, this is what we signed up to do to protect the people. And this is a perfect example of what I've described here as conscious patriotism. And the veterans, they signed on to the military because they wanted to protect the vitality of our nation, not necessarily because they were just blindly serving our government. Uh, you know, they've they been clear that they're willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means they have to stand up against their government in this particular instance, just as uh, the lieutenant had, had noted a second ago. They have made it clear, I think, that they're not just going to stand and be blind slaves to our government. And I think they're passionate about protecting the people of our nation. And also, they've been very outspoken about even protecting the land and certainly protecting the treaties and agreements. Think about what a soldier is meant to do. 
we sort of confuse it with just this blind slavery to our government. Like they do what they're told and that's what they're hired to do. That's not necessarily the truth. They are in a position where they are supposed to be protecting our nation. Now we know that goes awry quite often, but I think this is an instance when we're seeing this, we're seeing a new face of patriotism, even from our military and and from veterans. Uh, Many of the veterans have expressed regret of having facilitated uh, the decimation of other countries as, you know, part of their government contracts. Uh, and, And they've done it. They know that some of these countries have been decimated for the purpose of uh, the United States stealing their resources. And a lot of them have had uh, horrific episodes of regret uh, since then and depression and lots of other mental illnesses that they've suffered from because of the realization of the the type of war that they were actually fighting and, and, and what it was actually about. And now thousands of veterans are finding sort of a revived purpose and fulfillment in their mission to protect our land, our people, and specifically the rights of First Nations. I think that's absolutely beautiful. I think we should be diligent in supporting their efforts as well, and I hope you will do that. And to understand what they've been through and what they're going through now, they have an opportunity to kind of emerge from some of the sadness of things that they've been involved with and to realize that maybe this is actually what they signed up for. And now, for the first time, they've got an opportunity to be involved with something truly beautiful. And I think the American Indians do a wonderful job of reminding us of the type of people that we were created to be in these patient, resilient, loving beings. Edward Abbey said, A patriot must always be ready to defend his country against his government. I want to take a walk out on a limb here, as I often do. I know this is sketchy territory, but I think it's worth discussing for a moment. We're all aware that our money says, In God we trust. It's emblazoned across the front. There are Christian sayings all throughout our governments, through buildings and so on. We have a very continual discussion about separation of church and state, uh, which I think is important. Uh, Yet, we still have Christian sayings all over the place. And I don't, I'm I'm certainly not even implying that that's a bad thing. I think that we should have statements that are kind. We should have statements about loving thy neighbor and so on. Everywhere. It matters not where it comes from, in my opinion. Uh, I think that in the essence, or in the interest of equality and uh, inclusion, we shouldn't necessarily be making specific statements from certain religions in our government, and that's why I believe in the separation of church and state. Um, I do, however, believe that emulating the ways of Christ might be a great new habit for our government. I think our actions, the actions of our government, are very out of line with that. Uh, and I believe that part of patriotism is, you know, means that we need to push our government to, be, to come into alignment with the things that they've written all over the place, to keep them in line. To, I mean, you could even move this into a constitution discussion. 
perhaps we should be a little better about upholding the Constitution as well. We've certainly seen that challenged quite a bit lately. I believe we should love thy neighbor as thyself. Can't think of any reason not to, suffice it to say. There's no part of me, consequently, that believes that going to some other country and killing other people is moral or productive or part of being a patriot. I have no understanding at all why Christians are so apt to support our military and to glorify our military. I cannot imagine Jesus Christ himself being an advocate for military actions. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Never has, never will. I just came from a conference, by the way, side note here. Uh, It was a beautiful gathering. And Shane Claiborne, one of my favorite gurus of the times, he was there and talking about his new book where he talks about the uh, death penalty. And he talks about executions and so on and the history of that. I won't go too far into that. Suffice it to say, I really appreciate his perspective. And I was blown away by his reminding us of the fact that it is the Christian nations of which I currently am residing in the buckle of what they call the Bible Belt, which is Nashville, Tennessee. He talked about the fact that there are more people in prison and there are more executions in the Bible Belt than in any other section of the United States. Think about that. He also talked about how the execution scenario in general uh, has been petitioned more by Christians than any other group in the world. Again, it just blows my mind how incongruent that is with the teachings of Christ that I know. Um, To me, I think that the support of our military, really from anyone, but specifically from Christians, is sort of a cheap way to feel that you're doing something good, worthy, and honorable. It's easier to choose that militant path because our society regards militants as heroes, especially in the United States. We glorify the demoralization and domination of other countries and people. I can't think of anything less like Christ than that. And I'm using Christ as a particular example here because of the association with Christians, but I could also say many other people that we regard as heroes and, and, you know, Martin Luther King or Gandhi or Mother Teresa. Could you imagine any of them petitioning for more militant action in, well, anywhere? No. There is no way that we can justify military action, killing, division, hate of any kind and, 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 and say that it is congruent with the teachings of Christ or even Muhammad for that matter. And as petitioners for peace, I again, I've talked a lot about this in the past and even recently on some podcasts about realizing my guilt in being, you know, in fighting for peace and the the irony of that and how I've had to soften my perspective and, and certainly my methodology. 
I think this is rele- relevant when we talk about being a patriot because so often patriotism is, is associated with support of our military. In short, I do consider myself a patriot and I am vehemently against any kind of military force, period. War kills people, period. And it's typically in the name of profits and control over others. Or worse yet, in the sake of, you know, for the sake of religion. The only reason to have a military, in my opinion, is because other people have military also. It seems as though we could do better as a society. And part of being a patriot means that we push our government. We urge our society into fostering an environment where militant behavior is completely out of line and unacceptable. I think we can do that. I don't think that's utopic thinking. I think it seems outrageous right now because of where we're at. But I would imagine at one point, long ago, if someone talked about where we would be now and what the environment looks like now in terms of our military operations around the world, they would have also said back then, yeah, that could never happen. Well, here we are. I certainly have to believe we could go back the other way. So I want to leave you with this. A quote from a true patriot, Martin Luther King. I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. And every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is far too great of a burden to bear. Somehow, we must be able to stand up against our most bitter opponents and say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will still love you. We cannot, in all good consciousness, obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system, because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So throw us in jail, and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, And as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and drag us out on some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us, and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we are not fit culturally and otherwise for integration but we will still love you. But be assured that we'll wear you down by our capacity to suffer, and one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. I think it's time for all of us to come together, to be conscious patriots, to protect the vitality of our land and people, to ensure that our nation 
does not exploit the land or people of another country to resist tyranny on every level. This is a time to resist, to reimagine, and to create, and to be vessels of love in the face of hate, division, and fear. Thank you so much for holding a space for love and freedom with me today. If you appreciate the Nipi ethos and want to help inspire others to align with love, I hope you'll share this podcast with those you care about. Please listen and rate us on iTunes. The reviews and ratings really help us grow our audience. I wish you peace on your journey. May you align with love and let your life speak. Itaku Yeo Yasin.